inappropriate are all back back in the saddle by the way for you comics listening you could still go to the palladium right now the bruce willis roast marquee is still up there and uh maybe palm the janitor who's got a holding deal i mean you people are unbelievable they're taking pictures and just glad handing i i hope you fucking bought a stock and chapstick you ass kissers anyway uh watch the bruce willis roast uh, july 29th <laughs> on comedy central my whole act is about 80s action stars and i couldn't even get on it it's a tough business but enough about my bitterness i'm slowly turning into the ultimate warrior just bitter broken down but he kept it real then he died at 50 i'll be 50 in september <laughs> Maybe I'll put it on YouTube and film it, get some numbers. There's not often I get excited to have a guest on that I actually like. <laughs> as a person, as a comic, and now a podcaster. Just what the world needs, another podcast. <laughs> Just keeping it real. I'm no slave to the Viacom network. Put your hands together for, I believe, his first solo episode here he's on a few times with uh, cj herrera and whitney rice but now he gets his own episode he's got to leave in an hour because he's got a fitting for national commercial unlike most of you slobs who are non-union mr sandy danto earl that's the best intro i've ever gotten and i can't imagine anyone's ever given a better intro to anybody well i keep it real you, you do a great job well not really apparently not to the viacom network but that's all right you know what it just seems like so i did the the jam last night oh Josh yeah adam meyer show and it's a spectacular show it was incredible it felt like the last waltz with more jokes and the viacom network screwed that show up they took the show, they took it away from Josh, and it just wasn't good the way they did it. And if they had just done it his way, I think it would have been a hit. I mean, I don't understand that about, uh, you know, uh, TV networks and whatnot that uh, take a show that's already successful and then change it. But, you know, I'm not a TV executive. I don't know what they look for. I think... Not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, TV executives are failed actors, writers, directors, etc. that failed in doing that for a reason, whether it was they didn't have the wherewithal to put up with all the grinding and all the 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 dues paying you got to do, or they just didn't have the talent. And then they wind up in a corporate executive job and they got to justify their job. So they make choices without any sort of thought behind it or the wrong thought behind it. And it screws up what the artists have worked so hard to make by paying their dues and grinding. Well, it's the same people who headline Jeremy Piven. Right. Who I'm sure is a nice guy. I actually did a weekend with him. I bet. In Phoenix one night. Yeah, but how was the comedy? Hello. <laughs> you know, he's a, a very talented performer, but he's got a ways to go, you know? I mean, I heard him in the back of the comedy store one night say to uh, someone, hey, I think I got this. And it's like, wow. Well, I think. What is this? When he's got the confidence and he's a fun, like he's a very funny actor, but he just doesn't. I think it's hard coming in as an outsider 
into comedy and and having any clue of what it takes to just be good at comedy on stage yeah, in the moment. It's a lot of work. And it, it to us, it's insulting. Like, oh, you think that we we're both in this over a decade. I mean, I'm close to 20. It's insane. And and there's just so much that you pick up over the years from doing it so many times for better or worse that no matter how funny you are or how famous you are, or how confident you are, you're just not going to be able to do without the experience of doing it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I see uh, actors who've never done comedy now getting into it. Uh, you know, wrestlers. Yeah. Pro wrestlers. uh, Meta world peace did it. Yeah. And it's like, it's, you know, who am I to sit there and say someone shouldn't pursue stand up? but I think they would feel the same way. If I said the Meta world peace, or you said to them, Hey, uh, I want to play for the Lakers next week. Right. Like, can I get a 10 day contract just to try it out? What's your experience? Well, I, uh, I watched the white shadow. (laughs) So I, I think I know what I'm doing. I think I got this. Yeah, I watched Blue Chips what? every day when I was 10. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's just an insult to anyone that does it. That that somebody famous, Screech, can come in and he's headlining all over the country. Yeah, it's just like, what, what, what did I try hard for 20 years for? Or whatever, right. you know, it's... And their sense of entitlement. The entitlement just throughout the entire industry is the thing that is the most infuriating. But Earl, you're starting things are starting to take off. You got your jellies ah. stuffed animal right here. It's really cool looking. A fan made that. Uh it's awesome. A fan made that? Yeah. That looks like the like a professional thing you'd see in a store. Yeah, I mean that looks like something adult swim would Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, uh, and then I got my They Live mask Roddy Piper uh, gave to me. That's how I feel after doing stand-up for so long. <laughs> it's very creepy and very realistic and cool. Uh, but, uh, you know. But that's a sign of fan of yours from this podcast. Your podcast is taken off. Yeah, but, and every, but even with that, the number one question I get with this podcast right now, uh, number 12, by the way, thank you very much. Sorry, all you Palmers and Ham and Eggers, uh, that your podcast is uh, not in the top 5,000. I'm sorry. It's not my fault. But I didn't hack into the fucking iTunes. I had a big name comic ask me that. Like, why are you? It was like, so he was so insulted that my podcast was doing better than his. He's like, what did you hack into iTunes? Who are you paying? It's like, have a hard work. That's, that's the, the amount of like backhanded. I mean, it's a backhanded compliment, but like, I don't even the nerve to say that shit to you, but it's like, uh, how about putting one out every week for the last three years, sometimes two or three, uh, I'm a one man operation, you know, I don't have a red band and I love red band. He's good to me, but like, I don't have someone like him helping me produce and edit and you don't have a right hand man, right? I'm a red band man, but like, he, you know, he's been very good to me, but so that's not a, a like a hidden zinger at him, but like, you know, that's part of the reason Rogan's podcast, right? got so big was brian knew exactly what to do right i I don't have that my first 10 episodes of this podcast were literally the sound on the first 10 episodes sounds 10 times like each episode sounds different 
Right. Because I didn't know how to put the levels up. I had one episode where I had uh, Jason Galern and uh, J- Jason. Just eating butt the whole time. Uh, it was the doorman at the store. Uh, he then became a do- uh, a porn star, Jason oh, Washington. Yeah, Washington. Yeah, I I didn't even have uh, the it plugged in, so it was like a two hour podcast. My the very first episode it never aired because I, I I didn't know, you know, if I would have had Red Band in, it probably would have gotten me off to a great start because it was two hours of, you know, Jason Washington talking about being a door guy, and then you know. I don't know, eating Seika's ass or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's better I didn't have it plugged in, to be honest with you. I Uh, think you got to just do a reunion, like an anniversary, and have them on there. It's possible. And relive it. Don't try to recreate it, though. That never works in comedy. Never. I mean, uh, you know, but it's just like... But you work hard, too, though. Like You're one of the hardest working dudes I know, and... I've, I've started to work harder. There was a long time when I was pretty lazy and I was just like, well, I mean, I would be out at night grinding, but like during the day, you know, now my days are full. Cause you're married. Cause I'm married. I just had a baby and now I've got the sense of urgency of uh, a Syrian refugee. And that's urgent. It's urgent. I gotta, I gotta make something now. I gotta, you gotta make money. Yeah. You know, and it's a tough business to make money in. You know, you can, I've been out here 12 years doing it and I feel like now all the stuff that I've done was just preparation for this moment to like really execute it all. But yeah, I mean, and and, you know, in some sense it's never been easier to uh, make it on your own. I I mean, from the standpoint of there's YouTube, there's, you know, uh, all kinds of, uh, you know, there's podcasts. The podcast thing, I think, is essential whether it's a popular podcast or not every comic should have a podcast just because somebody sees you on stage and they like you they want to see more of you and if they go to the internet and there isn't more of you to to be seen they move on to the next thing oh i love it i mean i think if it's a good podcast it'll you know it'll you'll get successful at it that's why with with i started a podcast with avery pearson you know him the great keyboardist he is comic He's, he is fantastic. He's got elite level comedic timing, keyboard comedian, which is something, you know, I feel like you and I would make fun of normally, but not with him. You know, I can't make fun of that because I don't know how to play music. So me either. I I'm wish a fan I did so badly of, uh, really even guitar comics. Right. I but he's not play. like a, a corny sort of like plays songs about like, shock value sexual stuff he he's like the real deal and he he's good for the or show he chimes in when it's right he he lets people talk when they should and me and him started going on the road with adam ray and from that we started working together on other things he has a kid who's uh like a year and a half and he knew that me and my wife were trying and so he started telling me about it and a lot of the stuff he told me I felt like wasn't necessarily the way it was going to be. He was trying to scare me like how hard it was going to be to have a kid. And I was like, first of all, my wife's a baby nurse. I've already got a leg up. And, uh, 
Oh, I need to add the podcast to my website. That's a that's yeah, yeah. But right now, I know this is a uh, audio only. Uh, but podcast, just but I pulled uh, up my website. Pull up the website. You're not trying to do research. Which I'm thrilled it still works. Yes, it's at www.sandydanto.com. Go for there for all relevant information. Um, so he started telling me and I was like, no, I, you can't be right. Like, he's like, your whole life's going to change. I was like, am I going to start breathing nitrogen instead of oxygen? Am I going to live in Iceland instead of LA? Like how is like people say a hundred percent of your life is changed and I just don't buy that shit. And so we started a podcast. It changed names several times because we worked on it for a year before we put it out. And it's called motherfuckers, a parenting podcast. And we interviewed like 10 people over the course of a year and cut up each interview. So bits and pieces are in each episode. And it's been, it's like a narrative structure over the course of like me and my wife deciding to have a baby and Avery having a baby and all the way on through me and my wife have a three week old right now. And how's the, uh, you know, cause I imagine like, you know, when I walk my dog around the neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, Lois is a very cute dog and everyone's like, oh, I want to get a dog. And I'm like, you don't realize the work. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, com- not necessarily comparing a dog to a baby, but like it's a lot of times where she gets up at three or four in the morning, looks at me and goes, I got to go to the bathroom and I'm tired or whatever. No, that's like a baby. That's more like a baby. We have a dog too, but he's very flexible like if we don't want to take him out until 11 in the morning he'll just chill he lets us know if he needs to go out but he doesn't ever really do that unless he ate something he shouldn't have eaten and needs to go out immediately but which is kind of like a baby i mean yeah if a baby eats too much chocolate or a couple extra gummy bears or you know gonna rip through their intestines like a goose shit through a (laughs) bucket So what's it like? I mean, how, how is it different? Um, right now when they're newborn and, and the doctor told us to not tell people this, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyway. And I know it'll get harder, but right now it's been really easy. She sleeps well. She eats well, you know, it's different in when I get up in the middle of the night, it's not necessarily to pee or, to do something for me it's because she started crying and then my wife feeds her and i'm like do you need me to do anything and she's like get me some water or you know no go back to sleep or do you want to burp her or whatever and and then other than that we take the baby everywhere we go and it's been great an amazon package shows up every couple hours people bring food over um it's 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 been pretty great so far I know that's going to change when her teeth come in and she cries more or when she starts to crawl around, we're going to have to move stuff in our apartment, make sure the floors are clean all the time. But right now things are not that different. Like last night I did the comedy jam and my wife came and watched. And where was the baby? Um, Her parent, my wife's parents are in town and they watched the baby. Well, I thought it might've been on stage playing the maracas. No, but you know, like we took the baby to, uh fourth of july party in newport beach we've taken the baby to a lot of places it's uh it's been pretty great so far and i'm sure people are listening like it doesn't sound too responsible but like my wife is an expert in this stuff and i trust her judgment and how is it like when you tell your wife uh, i'm gonna do earl's podcast 
I mean, like, I got to do a gig. I got to go to the comedy store and, like, not network, but I got a spot. And I got to, like, is she down with that? Like, we had the baby on a Friday and I was at potluck on Monday. And I was like, you sure this is okay? She's like, yeah, I want you to go. You know, my wife loves babies so much that I think that, and she's so, it was hard for us. We had fertility issues. And I think that, first of all, our car, I don't necessarily believe in karma, but I think that the baby being so easy is our good karma for how hard it was to make her. And I think my wife just wants to spend as much time with her as she can, especially because in late October, she's going to have to go back to work. And I think that's when things are really going to get a little bit harder when, when, you know, right now we're sort of in the maternity leave phase. And so it's, it's a lot of teamwork and, and very easy because of that. But I think then when, when work starts to pick up for both of us, it'll, it'll get a little bit more difficult, but you know, that just means maybe we'll have to get a nanny or we'll have to get more babysitters and we'll figure it out. Why don't you have comics babysit? <laughs> we, I, we've had a lot of offers. Um, okay. We're still mulling them over. Well, uh, you know, I like to throw my hat in the ring. I bet, you'd, I bet you'd be great with kids. I'm a great uncle. Do you have any nephews or nieces? I have, uh, let, me see, uh, let me see. I don't want to forget anyone here. I have uh, four nieces, one nephew. Uh, and I'm great with kids, but I don't think I would be a good dad. Yeah. And you know what? I think part of that is self-awareness. Yeah. I mean, I, so I don't come in girls, you slobs. <laughs> Gee, we're having a baby. Uh, how about wearing a rubber or pulling out? Well, Anything. there have been a lot of, uh, comedy store. What ifs over the years yeah. that, that, uh, if they overturned Roe v. Wade, Oh won't, yeah, won't be so what ifs anymore and attention uh, la comics this might be the first time i've done a live one uh on the podcast uh, roe v wade is in a roast cart under battle <laughs> you fucking idiots so it's an abortion rights law so you should look into that some of you in particular i feel like comics will lead the charge if if that's in serious danger of being overturned. Oh yeah, you talk about the uh, strike of seventy-five uh, at the store, which was covered very nicely on the last episode of I'm Dying. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. How, so, are you in a lot more of this season? I, you know, uh, I love the little bit you were in in the first season. <laughs> I mean, the last episode I was in the most. Mm-hmm. I had a couple lines, stand-up scene. Uh, and you know, hopefully we get a season three and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's out of my hands. I really hope there's a season three because I feel like that's where the story will really get kicked into gear. Well, I think it's a great show from a storyline wise, because you could almost bring in a new comic or, or whatever, you know, every year. Cause that's what it's really like to keep it fresh. I mean, every, it, it, throughout my our time it's like every few months there's like who the fuck is this guy why the fuck is this chick getting spots and i'm not or you know like over the years you're like like, what i've never thought like no of course not but like you know gee maybe i should get into mma (laughs) i'm gonna fight in the ufc what's that sandy have i ever done it no but i want to do it yeah i'm sure uh 
I was gonna. My reference is way out of date. I was gonna say I'm sure Kimbo Slice would love that, but R.I.P. Well, I took boxing lessons from the Weaver Triplets in the mid '90s, so I'm qualified. <laughs> Floyd, Lloyd, and Troy, brothers of the heavyweight uh, contender in the '80s, Mike Weaver. So I know what I'm doing. Sorry, I got too real there. That's all right. But you know, like Brad Garrett was brought in this season. He was great. I mean, dude, he should win an Emmy for how he, I mean, he was amazing. Um, and then they brought in uh, a couple new uh, comics, actresses, actors. So you could do that every year. Yeah. And keep the And that's core. really how comedy is. So they should do that. Yeah. You keep the core cast, uh, you know, and then. I really liked how they had a guy playing prior and he was hanging out with like the young guns. And he was amazing. Yeah. Like, I only really worked with him on the They last. need to have a little bit more of that, I think, where it's like, oh, like, you know, since they don't have the likeness of, of all the people that it's really based on, just change it up and throw, like, uh, like the super famous, iconic, like, Kinnison in there at some point or Belushi what? or, you know, whoever. I mean, I'm, I'm campaigning for myself to come in. And why not? Though, dude? Right. Why, but shows know. up fucked up trying to get people to go to the Chateau Marmont yeah, and have uh, maybe have, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Brady uh, Matthews play De Niro. And say so we got to yeah. we got to get out of here at, at in the time that, that takes place. There were so many celebrities, not just comedians, musicians, actors that hung out at the comedy store in the improv like they should really exploit that more on the show or explore it and when i was at mitzi's memorial the uh sh- the most shameless you want to talk about palming the most shameless exhibit of palming i've ever seen which from, is from every something. generation which is sad because it's a fucking memorial for some for for this great woman who died and here you are that trying you, to fucking network that you probably talk shit about Right. You know, oh, fuck that cunt. She never gave me spots. Oh, I'm so sorry she died. Adam, hey, uh, how are you? Well, it it was annoying how a lot of the people, not everybody, but a lot of the people who spoke in the main room made it more about themselves than about her. Yeah, they were doing like bits. Right. Like, how about just, you know, like. I thought Paulie was, the, that was the best I've ever seen him on stage. He crushed. Mike Binders was great. I Jimmy mean, Mike, Walker. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's like. I mean, that was like the generation maybe before me, but Mike right. Binder is like, wow, how is this guy not super famous? Well, he's very successful. But I mean, but he like, sort of just went behind the camera. When you see like YouTube stars with billions of hits or, you know, Vine and Para, I don't know if Periscope's around, but like, you know, and then you have a comic. Prince of Periscope, you got it. Oh, watch out. Let's not make fun of the mountaintop. No, I love Brody. Uh, but like you see someone like Mike Binder be generally unknown to the American. It's like, wow, man, this guy's a comic genius. And you guys know who, uh, I don't know, that blonde broad with the huge cannons is on uh, Instagram. You know? Yeah, or Twitch. Yeah, yeah. so it's just like, you know, there, it was such an amazing night to see so many generations. Yeah, it was that was really cool and interesting. But I just wish it was more like people giving funny eulogies instead of being like, well, also, Mitzi told me how great I was. And then Mitzi, she did this for somebody. But then it was really more. It, that's what that's what it sounded like in every speech to me. And uh, 
Mike's was cool because it was more about her. And actually, he grew up with my dad in Detroit. Oh, really? Yeah. My dad and his brother are best friends from growing up. I That, that night was really cool. I loved being there. But Jim Carrey, I'm making this about me now. I met him because Sant- I was sitting there. with Sant- at, at the right. memorial. Right. I was sitting with Santino and Eric Griffin and Santino waved Jim Carrey over and it was really cool. And he said to me, you are Belushi. You are Belushi. And that was really, that was a cool moment for me. But like, that's like, I think what I'm dying up here could be like, like bringing you as Belushi and just for like a, a small thing. I'm not, you know, or even like, I, I mean, Holtzman doesn't really look like Kennison, but like he could totally, that play. would be, they could dress, you know, Hollywood movie making magic, baby. I mean, but like he could play like, or maybe even Holtzman could play dice. Like, right. You know, with makeup and whatnot, uh, they might need to bring in somebody way younger for that, though. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know who could play Dice because he was. I think I think they could have Holtzman play Burt Burt Reynolds with his mustache. Yeah, I mean, he looks with his mustache. He looks like Norm Macdonald playing Burt Reynolds on <laughs> SNL. Turd Ferguson. <laughs> but like, uh, it it really was like maybe you'll never have that again at the store where you've got like, you know, Crystalia, and then. And walks Tim Thomerson. Right. And I'm, I mean, like Tim Thomerson was a huge comic. Huge. You know, my first job at the comedy store wasn't door guy or lot guy. I interned for Polly when I first moved out here on top of another day job that I had at National Lampoon. Oh, we'll get into that. I, I worked there and I worked for Polly. So I was like a has been by association. But I would go from working nine to seven. I would go and work for Polly. And after about six months of doing that for free, I was like, dude, can you get me a job at the comedy store? I want to get it. I want to be in there. Cause I was like doing those two jobs and then trying to do open mics. It was fucking brutal. And so he got me a job there, but my job was to take all the old videos that Mitzi had collected over the years Right. And digitize them. So I watched all her whole video library of of what they had from the comedy store. And so I watched plenty of Tim Thomerson and Jimmy Walker and Etta May and oh, uh Ralphie May. <laughs> no, but who is the the eighties at Ralphie May? Uh the big fat guy, the cowboy guy, you know who I'm talking about? Ollie Joe Prater. Ollie Joe Prater was in there a lot. A lot of it just didn't hold up, to be honest with you. I could see how it was funny in the 80s. The funniest guys, the funniest stuff that I saw, there's an Argus pilot for his talk show that's like unintentionally funny. He's funny in it, but like it's a demo. So they're cutting to the audience and there's literally like seven people in the audience. His guest is a monkey. Uh Oh, watch out. And I'm not saying that from the perspective to uh, right, right, of Tommy. Right. They, uh, it was like a literal chimpanzee. I'm not, you know, I'm not a scientist. I don't know if chimpanzees are monkeys or whatever, whatever. I don't know. I think we came from uh, gorillas. I watched a thing last night on the animal planet that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Just It was uh, uh, showing uh, how certain uh, animals are predators. Uh, I, I don't mean uh, they're all at the comedy store yeah. right now. Oh yeah, they're all. I'll be there tonight on an undercard. 
<laughs> you, you, by the way, uh, comics, uh, 18 is 18. Any number that's below 18 is not 18. Just throwing that out there. Into the and, and yes means yes, and no means no. Yeah, no uh, means no, not no. Keep going, you sexual slobs. Don't read between the lines. Yeah, and most of you can't read anyway unless it's a spec script you're trying to sell to Apatow. <laughs> He's not going to buy it. Sorry. I'm, I already got mine to him. I'm Oops, I dropped something. Oh, oh, it's my screenplay. No, no, no. Don't pick it up. I'll get it. Oh, thank you. you no, you can have it if you want. You palming fools. Uh, but, well, I mean, I, I became aware of Mike Binder in the Hollywood Nights. Oh, yeah. It's just like the best movie. They had him running through Watts naked as an initiation. <laughs> <laughs> a, I mean, the good old days. I When I was growing up, I loved those kind of movies like Diner and uh porkies in hollywood nights oh porkies uh i remember once i saw peewee at the dmv with his wife and kids and i like i got starstruck because that movie meant so much to me and the guy's name is dan monahan only i would know his real name <laughs> and i left my place in line and i went up to him and he, i'm just about to say you know whatever i was going to say and he just looks at me and goes dude i'm with my family i don't want to talk about it oh my god that's so funny because porkies like before porn was so ubiquitous on the internet and free movies like porkies and revenge of the nerds with nude scenes like that were like you know to a teenager everything well i mean porkies just was like such a funny movie too yeah it was just like completely insane and you know i keep trying to get meat tony ganos on my podcast but he you know he doesn't really get back to me to be honest with you you know i just you just got to do the palming thing and, and email him incessantly tweet well him. i just tweet once or twice uh you know i'm sure and you'll find it this way as well or maybe 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 you won't uh, maybe it's how i approach people and they don't like it but like i'll just tweet it like i'll be watching uh that beach volleyball movie side out yeah which is like star wars on the beach yeah it's great <laughs> but, so i just started tweeting at peter horton who was the guy uh who played uh zach barnes the uh the, like the has been volleyball Yoda. yeah yeah and he's like a huge director he's been in like his imdb pages like you know eight pages where even most working actors is like maybe two right uh and I could just tell he doesn't want to talk about Side Out. He always gets back to me, but he's like, I'm good, dude. Do you think that's because he's embarrassed or because he's had to talk about it too much? Well, I think uh, probably a little of both, but I get the same, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to interject myself, but, but I mean, I guess I am, but like, you know, any podcast I do, the first thing they want to talk about is Roast Battle. Right. Know? And there's only so many ways I can. Well, it's hot right now. Oh yeah, it's 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 gotten bigger, which is amazing to me. Like I thought after season one in Montreal, like all right, it'll dip. Well, roasting's such a big meme on the internet. It's so it's it's huge on Reddit and Instagram and Twitter that the show just sort of gives it a home and a and a like a landing spot in the mainstream. But, yeah. Um, are you? Did you decide if you're going to do this in upcoming season? I mean, uh, they're doing it in a week, and I haven't gotten the phone call. So no, that's uh, a bummer. I not really. You were one of the. You were one of the best parts of the show. You the original show. I don't know if you talk about it on the podcast, but you were. 
you know, going back to what we started out talking about, how Viacom maybe has some questionable taste when it comes to the shows they pick up. You were an edge of ver- granted, very edgy, maybe um, something they a risk they were too afraid to take. But granted that the funniest part of that original show. I mean, well, the thank funniest. you. Well, you I mean, in the wave. Well, Moses uh, was a great. Uh, Moses is. was a great, but he sort of grounded it in like being dry funny. But you guys were like the over the top. But Moses would set me up like I couldn't have done it. Right. No, I'm not trying to discount how great he is. Oh, no, I know. I just, you know, I but I also don't want to be uh, seem like I'm taking all the credit. Yeah, it was all me. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I mean, in some ways they're. Uh, I guess Comedy Central's, uh, you know, path worked out for me because I'm sure it was. Um, but even so, you were great in the in that first season. And even though they sandbagged you by throwing you up against. Oh, the toughest. The top level people. Beyond. I mean, like uh, it, it was, you know, like the five people that I faced, all five could have won roast battle. I don't yeah. mean beat me. I mean won the whole thing. The whole thing. thing, yeah. And so I was like, why am I getting that? Like, I mean, I. But you, but you, you really shined. But everyone says that, and it's like, yeah, I get it. But like, I would have loved to, like, I would have loved to have gotten Ralphie May, and right. me and Ralphie were homies, right? But you know, it's like I would have loved to, uh, you know. Well, they threw in people. It was like people who are, this is another questionable decision-making creative thing, but like they chose to have people whose brand is roasting like Jimmy Carr. Oh, and I get that. And I get them. Which is, you know, what it should be. But then they had people who are great comics, but not, but not, um, not roasters like Ren is easy. Great comic, not a roaster. But I Ralphie think, May, great comic, not a roaster. I mean, I think, oh, absolutely. I don't, like, to me, no, I'm not a TV executive. I go, I don't want a Ralphie May or Ren Azizi on the show. I want a, maybe an, un, to me, the, like, the, the charm of the show is, like, all these unknown comics like me and, and, and you know, pretty much most of the others. Uh, you know, it's like, wow, this, this is intriguing. I don't know who these people are, but I want to watch this. You know, whereas you have like Steve's an amazing comic, yeah. but I think they could have put him against different um, people. Like they could have put him against me, and it would have been a great battle. Yeah, because he knows me. We're friends. It's I, funny though how you still have a thorn in your side about it, even though you beat all those people and you really look great on the show. Well, I just uh, it was a shitty thing for them to do to you, but. But I don't even know who to be mad at. Like, I literally You shouldn't don't. be mad. You fucking killed it. Yeah, but, like, I don't like how other people got taken care of on the show right. over me. Well, that's just... You know, that's Hollywood, baby. Oh, you're right. But... Uh, they pamper the people who need it, but you you rose through the ashes. So... Like a phoenix. You know, river phoenix. <laughs> uh, but, like, you know, that's all people want to talk about to me, mostly. Uh, and right. then they get into the cartoon and right, right. Showtime. So I get, uh, you know, like who else? Uh, I constantly uh, tweet at people from the White Shadow. Yeah, 
uh, because you know what? I think the people who were like the guy from side out and, and like the people you're interested in having on here, I'm much more interested in like the, the washed up celebrities or, or like one hit wonder movie stars than, than a list or B list people. Well, I think they have a better story. Way better story. It's way more interesting. But I also think that, like, you know, I had Bobby Brown on, the girl. Uh, who, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, she was in the Warrant video, mm-hmm. Cherry Pie. Mm-hmm. And I think she was in the Great White video, uh, Once Bitten, Twice Shy. And She was in a lot of videos, and a lot of videos were in her. Uh, but, you know, when she came on the podcast, and she was very nice to come, uh, she didn't really I want to talk she about was. Uh, but she didn't want to really talk about any of the videos or star search anymore. And, and at the time I was like, well, I, it's, I don't know what else we can talk about. Uh, but now I kind of get it. What did she want to talk about foreign policy? Um, you know, her insurance policy, Um, (laughs) but now I kind of go, okay, now I get it. You know, right. But you gotta at least be open to doing the, the, the surface level discussion of it and then moving on. Well, it's like with the guy from side out, I I said, listen, man, I'm a huge fan of the movie, which I am. It's a guilty pleasure of mine, but I also loved you in brimstone. And I thought last week I I did one last long bomb. I was watching, I've been on a white shadow binge lately. Mm -hmm. It's that show was so ahead of its time. Uh, just the way they, if, I feel like every show that's ahead of its time, starting with um, what's the the David Lynch show? Um, Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. They're they're just gonna start bringing those back. But I but I don't think you can like with a show like The White Shadow where explain it because I don't really remember it that it well. was a um. Now this was when there's only three networks. Right. Literally CBS, ABC, NBC. I, I think Fox wasn't around. There was no CNN. There was no FX showing Henry Rollins wearing uh, a racist tattoo on Sons of Anarchy. What I about mean, Golf Channel? Was there a Golf Channel? Yeah, it was called Bel Air Country Club. <laughs> uh, so the what you know to do? Uh, it's a show about a white coach coaching a primarily all black basketball team in the ghetto. And the funny thing is most of this show was shot at Notre Dame High, which is where I went. In in the Valley, right? Yeah. It's the furthest thing from a ghetto. But, you know, I guess you didn't need to know that at the time. But, like, they, you know, had uh, episodes about rape, about uh, one. Uh, and Peter Horton, the guy from Side Out, played a closeted uh, uh, gay basketball player. And nobody knew in the episode so it's like this whole time there's like these kind of serious gay undertones of like he's you know playing defense and he's rubbing up on salami uh, you know and salami ended up uh, directing more episodes of boardwalk empire and the sopranos than anybody whoa so it's like it's it's tremendous talent on this show so there's episodes like that, and then uh, probably where do you? Is it on Hulu or something? Yeah, I, dude, I'm telling you, I've been watched all three seasons. Because you're not the first person I've heard talk about that show. It's, and I'm proud to announce that within the next couple of weeks, I will have a starting member of the 1980 City Championship team from Carver High. 
the point guard, Maurice Thorpe, otherwise known as Kevin Hooks. So uh, I'm, he actually got back to me. Kevin Rook? <laughs> Kevin Hooks. But that's another dude who went on to direct like most of the episodes of Prison Break and uh, like... I don't think I've ever seen a show where and Ken Howard became president of SAG. So it's it was a like launching pad. A, yeah. I mean, a lot of, uh, but their episode in season two toward the end of when the coach takes the team to uh, the golf course, it's got, it's one of the funniest episodes in the history of television. Did you hang out at a lot of country clubs growing up? Just one Bel Air country club. what did you do? Do you golf ever? I got well. It's it's kind of white shadow based. Like you know, my I, I'm not saying Bel Air Country Club uh, is the only racist country club, but country clubs in general are very yeah racist, racist. culture to sure. this day and anti-Semitic. Oh my God! Well, you got Bel Air, which I don't know what it's like now, but at when I was there, they didn't um, allow uh, you know unofficially there were no black members allowed. Right, and then I think it was Brentwood. Uh, like went 180 and they were only Jewish members allowed. And then, uh, you know, LA country club was, you know, very, uh, let's just say restrictive on, uh, anyone outside of albinos playing. Jesus. <laughs> so about, you know, that's something that I think still exists. Oh, hundred percent today. Like the, the exclusivity for country clubs. And for some reason, that flies under the radar. Everything else, everything else is fair game to to crack down on, except for country clubs for some reason. And it just shows like how money talks, dude. Yeah, and bullshit walks and does TV shows. Bullshit walks and carries your fucking clubs for you. Well, they did. Well, so so I was sick of the the basically the whites only lifestyle that country clubs promote. <laughs> So I, you know, my parents sold the membership, I think in, uh, is that how it works? You sell the membership. Yeah. I mean, like, which is, I mean, you talk about an all time profit. My dad bought the membership for $1,500 in the sixties, sold it for like 300 grand. What? Yeah. You have to give up your membership, but they pay you. So, I mean, now I'm, it's not like, I always thought it was like a gym where you like pay an initiation fee and then there's dues. I mean, uh, not at Bel Air, but uh, it might be at other country clubs. Uh, so uh, I said, well, I still want to keep playing golf, but I don't really want to be, I want like be around other minorities. Right. So there's this course uh, on top of Sepulveda Pass, for those of you who are, are you know, from Canada and don't know where that is. It's basically the bridge between the valley and West and LA. Angeles, yeah. um, and it's up on, it's a really nice country club on, on top of the mountain. And uh, someone told me, hey, they let blacks play there. They let Mexicans, uh, you know, Asians, like whites are almost the minority there. And I'm like, I, I, I got to join there. So I joined there. It was like 10 grand. I'm a member at Mountain Gate Country Club for literally 40 minutes. I take my bags down to the pro shop. I leave them outside to go get golf balls. I come back out. My clubs were stolen. So... <laughs> Oh my god! I've never played since. Oh god! So uh, I'm going back to the whites only country. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. So you know, uh, I mean, golf was uh, you know I was kind of a loser in high school, even though I was popular. So golf was like my social thing. Do you ever do you ever golf to to Palm? It's like a huge 
No, I know. I mean, I convention of business in general, but especially Hollywood. I'm trying to think what I do to palm. I mean, we all palm. You Uh, have to, you know, it has a negative connotation and it doesn't feel good to do, but you got, I, for so long was, was like, no, not me. I'm going to, I'm going to get in on my merits and 12 years in without any significant credits. I have some, but like, I'm like, all right, it's time to network dude you have to do it i you mean like to. uh you know i would say probably some of the best palming i ever did was at roast battle in montreal when you know you the show would you do your thing and then you go upstairs and like this green room and then like you know you got apatow talking to me you've got uh you know this agent uh i think i did a joke about all the jews in the room and uh he hands me his card and goes i'm one of those jews call me uh of course nothing (laughs) happened but uh i mean you but i do like like for me in this podcast now i get people somewhat palming me like agents or managers going hey can we get our client on i was like well what are you going to do for me right now the table and it's not this podcast is not on like rogan's level but do you have ads yet uh i'm you know it's funny i just got like three emails today from people hey will you but i also don't want yeah i mean yeah i want to make money on this thing i mean we all want to you know people think well earl's got but that's not what you're doing it for no but uh, I don't want it to turn this into an ad fest. Hey, you know, when you're listening to Inappropriate Earl, get the Budweiser koozie. Great. In stores. MeUndies. Yeah. What the fuck? There's, there's, by the way, I'm sure they're, it's great feeling on you, but the word MeUndies, the, it makes me cringe so bad. I, I don't even know what that, what is that? It's, it's a lot of podcasts. It's a, it's like a, it's like Blue Apron for underwear. It's like a subscription service. You sign up and they send you underwear, which, you know, that's kind of cool. But the name Me Undies is just so cringy. It sounds terrible to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't want stuff like, I mean, I like being a rogue podcaster. Like, I'm I not, like that about you, too. I I'm like not that on the network. I'm not, I, you know. The last I, thing you want is somebody being like, great episode. Could you not do this stuff about the white, all white golf course? Yeah, oh, but I mean, that's like, uh, I don't, you know, the name is inappropriate or all, but I, I think the podcast is fairly appropriate. You know, I think that with podcasts, though, it's cool that you can pretty much like even on Rogan's, which is the most popular podcast no, like, out there. It's the best. He talks about some pretty racy stuff some edgy stuff and nope there's no like outcry against him and they'll even have like youtube clips of those conversations and they get millions of hits and it's like podcasts i think are the last protected or at least the last they're so long and there's so much to pick through to find the offensive content that it's the last thing that you can really go on and say whatever you want without people and people's comments maybe being like that offended me but it's not going to be a big deal yeah i mean it's uh i actually uh listened rogan's is probably the only one i listen to yeah because i really like how he he doesn't have just ufc fighters on well he has like people with different points of view which i think is really cool and something different that a lot of people that do podcasts or interviews in general like he has liberals and conservatives he has people from all over the spectrum yeah and i like that about him you know it's not but you would think like 
if I were him in his uh, position that, you know, you would just have on one week, George St. Pierre. And then the next week you have, you know, Daniel Cormier, the heavyweight champ. And, you know, it would just be so easy just to fall into the trap of UFC fighters and boxers. But he has like people who think the earth is flat, uh, you know, vegans who are anti-meat and he's like a big meat eater. Right, right. So I love it, you know. Yeah. And he's real. Like he keeps it real. If something bothers him on a show he worked on or, or a club mistreats him, which I'm sure doesn't happen too often, he talks about it. And he's well-spoken and powerful enough that it matters. Yeah. I mean, I'm like the uh, the the less powerful version of Joe. <laughs> but, you, you know, you, he had to start somewhere. Dude, he's been doing his podcast for a decade. Yeah. I mean, I... I'm doing this three years. I think you'll be episode 225 or whatever it is. He's well over a thousand. Yeah. So hopefully when I get to a thousand, I'll, you know, be a number two behind him. Yeah. Just there you just go. The little podcast that could. Now, how often the do you release operation? Well, I mean, you know, which is what I call it when my wife goes. Oh, <laughs> house. Uh, how often do you know? When do you release your podcast? Um, Every Monday comes out. And, uh, well, like Sunday at midnight and do you, once a week. Do, so do you have like people who are fathers on, like who are the guests? Yeah. Um, we had, so in every episode, any given episode, you hear Josh Wolf, who has a very unique oh, story dude. of having the best. kids. Renazizi, Steve Renazizi, who's the, one of the funniest dudes out there. Pat Barker, who's got a really crazy story of getting pregnant. Yeah, because they had... Uh, Lana Turner, Ralphie Mays, ex-wife. Talk about a difficult pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, I love the king, but like... Yeah. I hope she was on top. <laughs> you never know what people are into. Smothering is a big thing. I mean, I love just, Ralphie. Just ask Dan Madonna's mom. Well, I mean, Ralphie was awesome, but like, you know, I loved him so much that, you know, I would have jumped into the uh, coffin with him if there was room. Do you think they had to get a, a coffin custom made for him? Well, I know he was cremated uh, at, at the time he passed. He was 594 pounds. Jesus. Uh, I mean, you know, that guy was like, uh, I got to cremate this. They had to get the urn at Costco. <laughs> I mean, it was an open casket because they couldn't shut it. <laughs> the Ralphie said, or I'll make fun of me when I die. He actually told me this. Don't cry. Make fun. So we're allowed. Me, uh, Jeff Ross, and Gary Cannon are allowed to make fun of them. It's like, what else? How else are you supposed to deal with it if you don't make jokes? Well, I mean, people that get offended or say too soon, it's like, yeah, you're just not dealing with it in a healthy way. Then, well, I mean, with with comics, I mean, I, I just with anything though, any touchy subject. Well, like the whole Me Too thing is like, you know, I mean, Brian Holtzman's got some hilarious Me Too jokes. That, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? We're comics. We're, we're Not only that, but people are in, a, you like, you've walked into a comedy club. Did you just forget that satire exists? Have you never heard of satire? Like, you walked into a comedy club, you're going to hear jokes about things you feel poorly about but it just it's so annoying that this whole comedy is more popular than it's ever been and i don't care what anyone says if the 80s it wasn't because the 80s didn't have the internet and podcasts 
Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how big Dice would have been with a MySpace or a Facebook or an Instagram. To help. I mean, that's to me, he's the most impressive dude to sell out Madison Square Garden multiple times with no social media being around to help him promote it. Right. Like, that's crazy to me that he got that big with virtually word of mouth and CDs and, uh, you know, promotion and, you know, a poly the same way. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I think uh, artists had it much difficult time uh becoming big in the 80s because there was no internet there's no youtube there's no vine yeah but i think there was something to the you know the three networks and then cable because everybody was watching that yeah hbo uh but that's back when a comedy appearance on on tv meant something right now i think the equivalent of being on carson in the 80s is going on joe rogan's podcast oh my god yeah i mean that's I, I would much rather I mean, I, I like love- going on TV now. If you go on Conan or The Tonight Show, it's like you get credibility in the comedy community, but no one outside of that really gives a fuck. But if you go on Rogan, oh, like my name has been mentioned by other comics on Rogan, and I got a bunch of messages. Somebody, uh, Neil Brennan, mentioned you on Rogan. Yeah, no, it's that's the same things happened to me. Like, uh, I mean, he's a big roast battle guy. And uh, like, I guess he was interviewing Jay Okerson and Jay was judging one of my roast battles the night before. And, uh, you know, he mentioned my name and all. I just that night I got like hundreds of new followers. And I'm like, why is this happening today? And then someone's like, well, go to 335 of, of the interview. Right. It's always like two and a half hours in, yeah. three hours in. <laughs> and I, of course, I just watched it on loop for. Uh, but yeah, but Joe's the best. Like, you know, he doesn't have to. I mean, he's made. I'm so intimidated by him. Like, I don't talk to him at the store. He Because not only is he like this big, in, intimidating dude physically. Right. But also he's so knowledgeable and well-spoken at one time remember when red band used to do those friday night podcasts and the shows at the ice house yeah yeah. joe rogan was on it and he was talking about pool which he's very passionate about and i was like i like made an offhanded joke about how like he was talking about like fine oak pool cues and i made a joke about it and i don't think he took it too well I, but you know it's like you but gotta, that could also just be in my head and he doesn't fucking remember but because, i'm just intimidated by him oh yeah i mean like uh you know i used to like you know obviously i'm trying to think how do i get in with this guy uh, you know so i kind of loosely try and talk about ufc with him and i could tell he wasn't into it just because you know i'm sure he's now i go he's probably sick of talking about the ufc when he's at the comedy store uh and then uh I think my initial in with him and he probably wouldn't even remember this. He seems like the kind of guy that never gets sick of talking about the UFC. But I mean, like, I, I think when he's in the back area of the comedy store in the kitchen, he wants to hang with his friends or just talk right. about life or girls or uh, cars. Uh, it's funny. He talks so much professionally. That yeah. You'd think that he doesn't want to have to do it otherwise. But like the other night he saw my new car and he went out there and we talked about cars for, you know, probably a half hour. Oh. Because uh, he's a big car guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but our, my initial, uh, you know, like, hey, Joe, let's let's be buddies. Was, I have a torn ACL. And he's like, like, for an hour, he talked to me about, yeah, I think he has two. Holy uh, shit. And he would, oh, well, you know, did you get the cadaver? Do you have a torn ACL or do you get it fixed? Well, I got it fixed. But, um, 
you know, that was my initial like, okay, I can talk to this guy without Joe being weirded out. Yeah. And now we're like, you know, I'm not saying we're like best friends, but like, you know, we always hug when we see each other and hey, how's oh, that's cool. know, it's comedy or whatever. Need to tear my ACL. Well, I mean, how'd you tear your ACL? A knee to knee hit playing hockey. Shit. Where my knee literally went backwards. Uh, so can you still play hockey? Oh yeah. But I mean, it, it, that, it just goes to show you how crazy the human body is. Cause I went to the Raiders doctor. Uh, this is when they, the LA Raiders, uh, and he was in Beverly Hills, and I think this is before they had MRIs. Holy and, shit! And uh, he's like, "Well, you probably pulled some ligaments, and you uh, you got a bone chip. So for uh, the next ten years, I was working out like a maniac, uh, squatting six hundred pounds, no roids. I mean, I was I was very strong from you know someone who'd never done mm-hmm. you know uh, enhancement drugs." And then about 2004, uh, I started getting this really sharp pain on both sides of my knee. Like someone was literally stabbing me. So you worked out with a torn ACL that whole time? For 12 years. 12 years, I had no ACL. Now, I didn't know this at the time. Right. Uh, And then I go to a doctor in Beverly Hills and a new doctor, and he just looks at me and goes, you know you don't have an ACL, right? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he takes a... Then he took an MRI, showed me the picture. My my leg l- literally looked like a bowl of spaghetti blew up. And the sharp pains were coming from now the tendon. Bone on bone. Yeah, the uh, ligaments in the side were now shredding, rubbing against the bone. So I had torn meniscus. I had torn ACL. So did you get surgery? Uh, oh, yeah. I had uh, this like a three-hour surgery. And they put a cadaver, a dead person's ACL in my leg. Wow. Uh, that, you know. It, Were you able to work out at the, once you recovered and rehabbed, uh, work out at the same level you could before? I'm probably stronger now. Like, I mean, uh, but I, uh, it was a brutal uh, recovery. Like, like, have you ever, like, torn anything, broke anything? I've sprayed, I've severely sprained both my ankles. I mean that's but, but that's never, a tough, never uh, anything I've had surgery on. But I'm afraid. I'm uh, afraid that uh, I work out really hard, right? Which you know is counter to the way I look. But I I just but you need strong. to get my eating under control. I'm strong. I I do 100 burpees at least a day, and I swim, and I climb, and I hike, and I I'm very active. I'm I I and I changed my workout because I just used to you know just like hike or jog for 30 minutes right but it's like it's not that that's good mentally i think but if you really want to make a difference physically like you need to do high intensity workouts but i don't i don't stretch enough and i'm just worried that my joints are going to be bad soon hey speaking of joints uh if you need marijuana delivery service try speedweed yeah that's it's good great improv. it's funny they're everyone loves them and they produce comedy now it's so cool yeah i mean King- and they produced um law and order svu really do you know that when you watch it like when I, I go on the road a lot and i'll just be in hotels and if i'm like lazy or just down i'll just lay in the hotel room and watch tv and if I'm in a particular dark hole, I'll just watch 
Law and Order for hours on end on TNT or USA, whatever it's on. And the it, in the credits, it's like co-produced Speedweed. That's crazy. Yeah. I had no idea. King Gino. Yeah. Um, Powerful in both Hollywood and the weed game. Yeah. I mean, he's a big sponsor of Roast Battle, and I think he does uh, uh, Kim Congdon and Sarah Wineshank's uh, Stone Science. He produces. Oh, that. yeah. I saw that, too. Uh, That's cool. So, you know, it's, it's funny how the worlds of marijuana and comedy collide. Yeah, who knows how long that'll be a, a lasting relationship. But now smoking weed, it's like, it's like so le it's legal now in, in so many states. I just don't want it to become a thing where people are doing it at comedy clubs. Because you have, have you ever done... I know you're not... You've never used marijuana. But I'm not against it. I'm not against it either. And I did it for years and years and years. And now I'm kind of off it. You know, once in a while, I'll do it. But uh, have you ever done a show at like a weed bar or a hash bar yeah i did one uh, people are too lethargic to laugh like, oh yeah. i don't want it to become a thing where it's like comedy clubs allow it and now people you'd think it's counterintuitive because you think oh people get high and they laugh more but they're just like they they think things are funny but they here's how people who are like high off dabs or or like super strong weed this is how they laugh <laughs> and when you're in a comedy club you need those big laughs those big booming laughs yeah, I mean, uh, I've done a few. Uh, there's a place in North Hollywood that like people were smoking wax or yeah, yeah, dabs. Or, that's yeah. what that's what it's it's called dabs, and it's like basically the the smoking crack of weed. And I, uh, I, I, I got high. Uh, yeah, same. Uh, I mean, even the last Death Squad show uh, at the Ice House, like you know. Uh, you do the podcast and people are usually smoking weed and then one person does the the stand-up show and i was there for like an hour and a half and uh, everyone was smoking weed but me so i probably inhaled uh who knows an hour and a half of weed <laughs> so when i got on stage i was noticeably like buzzed or whatever you want to call it um i mean i did have more fun like usually i'm you know i get really nervous do you get nervous i get super nervous before going up whether it's potluck or the main room or at a marijuana bar. Do you get nervous still? No. Um, the only time I get nervous is when there are stakes. Like a showcase? Like a showcase or even if there's like friends or family in the room just because I don't like, you know, when, when it's all strangers, I feel completely uninhibited. I can do whatever I right. want. But if like a booker or a friend or family member, it's like, oh, I'm showcasing for your like up updated approval. Right. You know, or like, especially with like friends, family from back home, it's like they support me in what I do, but it's like, if I don't do a good job, they're going to be like, maybe you should move back. At least that's what goes on in my mind and causes me to be nervous. Oh, sure. I mean, uh, I think it was a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Ian Edwards was on stage and he's killing, uh he's an amazing he's dude. one of the funniest people on earth and one of the nicest dudes yeah like but he was killing and then like three people hadn't shown up and uh someone comes said dude you're next and uh just as i go on stage adam walked in and he sat down oh like, that's Fuck. so nerve-wracking uh but it worked out but like you know I, I don't like performing in front of people i know i love strangers yeah same same so but you know at the comedy store you pretty much know everybody so it's, it's like 
Right. You know, so let's get to the plugs. I know you got a fitting for, uh, you know, can you say what it was for? It's for a mattress commercial. Hey, dude, let's kneel the deal with the, the kneel leads, the kneel <laughs> with the deal. This is for one of those like new agey, maybe podcast ad mattresses. You know, they deliver it to your door. You hey, man. Online. Uh, but Sandy Danto is one of the good ones. Uh, incredible impressionist, uh, which is a skill I don't have. It's like music. I, mar- I can only really do irrelevant people, but yeah. But you, I did Joe just- Cocker last night. This well, guy's been dead for five years. Can you let me see? Is your most popular impression Pauly? Yeah, just because you know he owns the comedy store and he's a, he was a movie star. But dude, you gotta have me on the what? The inappropriate, oh bro, Dean. Dude, so Dean Gelber was the manager of the comedy store for years, and it's one of Pauly's friends from growing up. But Pauly will just yell non sequitur his name in like whether we're on an airplane like i've woken up on an airplane from rows away just hearing dean dean and i wake up and paulie's just screaming dean but didn't he do it in the middle of his act once he'll just be on stage and like in the in between jokes he'll just be like he'll just be like dean so anyway uh i own the comedy store dean it's like it's hilarious to me but i can't imagine anyone in the audience knows what's going on like when you auditioned for snl did you do and do you know the the final verdict of that or i auditioned last year spoiler alert didn't get it but i just put in this year again but do they get back to you like, hey, you need to work on this? Or? No, I wish that would be so nice if they did. I mean, I know they can't do that for everybody, but like, you got to be close. Um, we'll see. You know, I just did, I just did Joe Cocker on the Comedy Jam last night, and Melissa Villasenor and Chris Red were both on the show, and they both had very nice things to say to me. Oh, cool, about cool. my performance. So you know, maybe it would be worth reaching out to them palming you know but it's not i mean it's all who you know like yeah you know i mean last year i got as far as i did because of leslie yeah i mean leslie uh you know i mean we used to get along really well i heard that there there's a tension over a roast battle incident well yeah but like uh you know i i am of the belief that if you go up to roast battle you know the type of humor that's done up there it's not a knock knock joke show, and everyone. What I love about roast battle, uh, you okay on time? Yeah, I'm good on time. Uh, it's funny. There should. What if there was just comedy so popular that there's a knock knock joke show? I could see it happening. I could too. But like you know, people who get offended at roast battle, it's like, dude, you, everyone signs up for this show. Uh, you know, the judges sign up to be. That's why I've only ever done it as a character, and I don't do it as myself because I know myself, and. I'm cool with my friends making fun of me like that, but I don't want it to be in front of a room full of people. Well, it's tough. You know, like my last battle, which was a year and a half ago, was against Benji. And like uh, ben, me and Benji are homies. He's one of the best. But like it was very... Uh, he's one of the most funny... He's a great... He should have been on Roast Battle, like well, on the TV show. Oh, absolutely. Because he's like, he's so... Uh, very cutting. 
yeah, but and, very funny in doing so. And he looks so like nice and demure and right, and, and unassuming. Like he gave me some killer roast jokes. Basically, for everyone I've ever battled, I'd always go to him and go, "Hey, what do you think about this one?" And uh, <laughs> you know, they had me battle him, uh, which is another thing I didn't really like. It was like, you know, because I knew that certain people were wanting him to kill me, so then they could say, "Hey, just beat her. I'll put him on." Season right. two is like, really? Now I'm a fucking tackling dummy. It's funny how Benji has a television show on the air, two seasons, hopefully three. It's a great show. Alone it's again. Genuinely very funny. And I still don't feel like he gets the fucking respect he deserves in the comedy community. Well, I think it's because people uh, go, okay, he comes from a wealthy family. He didn't earn it. He did. Oh, I he know. Worked really hard. It took him a long time. Me and him started out together. And it's not like he had it going from, from day one. But I see the same thing with Chris D'Elia where, you know, Chris's dad was in the business and was I think that perspective only comes from poor people. And and you know what? It's like I get it, but like and and people with money do have advantages, but like that's on you for making it about that. But, like, I remember seeing D'Elia at open mics, and he never, like, pulled a power play of, like, well, my dad's... Uh, no, he didn't, uh, and he's t got the talent to back it up. But he it, worked his ass yeah, and still does. Like, yeah. You look at his touring schedule, he's on the road every weekend, when the truth is, he probably doesn't have to be. No. Like... But it's what he loves. Yeah, and he, he busts his balls more than most comics. There are plenty of untalented people that got there easily that don't deserve it, but those two are... Like... You have to look at the details and you can't just judge it based on if somebody grew up with advantages. Yeah, I mean, but even Polly, like, you know, here. but he didn't have it easy. His mom, like, shunned him from the comedy store for a long time. But, like, he probably could have lived just on comedy store profits. Yeah. And, uh, you know, or just, yeah, he could have lived the rich kid lifestyle of not having to work and living off his parents' money, but he didn't. He's been supporting himself since he was 18. Yeah. Same thing with a guy like Jason Reitman. Yeah. There's a dude who's one of the top directors going today. His dad's Ivan Reitman. Jason Reitman could probably sit on his ass in his home in Beverly Hills, I mean, and get residual checks from Stripes, Meatballs, Animal House. Yeah. I mean, uh, Twins. Ghostbusters. Uh, oh, my God. I mean, like every movie from the 80s and early 90s, Ivan Reitman did. Uh, but, comedy movie. Yeah, but like... But he doesn't. He you know, it's a combination of hard work and talent and sure they had some advantages that we wish we had well i had them what but i'm not going to hold that against them like if they're making good stuff like cool then they deserve the advantages that they had yeah i mean uh like rick flair said don't hate me because i was born with a silver spoon in my mouth now let's get to the plugs because i know you gotta go where can people find you on twitter and instagram both at sandy danto i do a monthly show at the in the improv lab at the hollywood improv called watch me chill this what's that about it's uh basically like my i'm at my best comedically when i'm just hanging out with my friends so it's just a show where i'm hanging out with my friends and we have a guest and a couple comics and uh it's just we show videos it's 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 like creating the atmosphere like we're just hanging out like i'm just hanging out with the audience and then where can people listen uh, to your podcast on itunes stitcher wherever you get your podcasts it's motherfuckers it's spelled mother space F 
asterisk, 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 ERS, because we live in a puritanical society where you get censored if you spell the word fuckers. And uh, come check out Watch Me Chill on August 18th or September 29th or both. And uh, please listen to my podcast. We we worked on it for a year. We put in a lot of hard work and we feel like it's very it's high concept. It's high quality. It's different from anything else you'd hear. And uh, at Sandy Danto on Twitter and Instagram. And at MFers podcast, I've right now I, I've got too many fucking social medias. It's driving me crazy. I'm trying to get off of there in the first place. But oh, if I didn't have this podcast, I swear to God, I would delete everything. I just all my my goal is not money or fame, just to be successful enough that I don't need to be on social media anymore. I, I swear to God, if I didn't have this podcast, I would delete. I wouldn't be on Facebook, <laughs> Twitter, or I would have to keep Messenger so I could talk to my friends. Yeah, same. Uh, but you have to like, if you have a podcast, you have to promote it. Like, yeah. there's just too many out there yeah uh so you have to tweet about it take an instagram picture of the guest and all that <laughs> so uh sandy danto Girl, is, thank you for having me this has been awesome dude i love you're one of my favorites of all time me and carlos herrera cj herrera constantly talk about how much we love you and how funny you are well i mean i feel the same way about you become fans of sandy support him listen to his podcast uh inappropriate Earl soundcloud and itunes leave a review if you haven't already it, it does help it really helps it, people don't understand it literally takes 30 seconds if you go on sandy's uh you know itunes page uh, you listen to an episode or two hopefully all of them and just go it's a great uh, just nice podcast love the guest bam it takes 20 seconds it helps because itunes looks at the reviews and the podcast art it's all a scheme so uh thank you guys this will be out today uh, coming up we got uh some we got kevin hooks from the white shadow man it don't get That's any so better cool. than that maurice thorpe starting guard at carver high learn it love it and live it and people keep asking me about the jellies i cannot confirm or deny i'll just say this make sure your adult swim subscription is updated yeah.